MacCast, Sunday, September 10th, 2023. This episode of the MacCast is brought to you by ZocDoc. More on them later in the show. Hey, Mac Geeks, it's time for your MacCast, the show for Mac Geeks by Mac Geeks. I'm Adam, and this is the show where we discuss all things Macintosh. How you doing? Welcome back to the MacCast. Glad to be back here with you for another week of Mac Hints, Chips, News, and all the goings-ons in the Apple and Mac community. How are you doing? I hope you are having a wonderful, wonderful week. Things are pretty good around here. We are officially in iPhone season. It is finally time. We've been talking about the rumors and the details. We've got a few more uh, to talk about today, of course. But Apple has sent out announcements and the event is happening next week. It may have already happened by the time you hear this show, as a matter of fact. And of course, we're going to be covering all of the iPhone announcements and what Apple has officially come out with. But for now, we're going to talk about some of the rumors. We're going to get into... Uh, what's going on, the latest and greatest. We have some uh, case updates, which are kind of interesting that we're going to get into. We're going to talk about production difficulties and uh, USB-C and even Android devices in this episode. And then we're going to get into some additional app, Apple news. Uh, we have some processor news and information to get into. We're going to talk about Vision Pro a little bit. A uh, whole bunch of stuff that's going to be a lot of fun. And then we're going to get to some of your feedback. Um, I got some great feedback on those of you who are looking to upgrade potentially to an iPhone 15 this year and get some opinions and thoughts on that. Uh, we're going to talk about um, some OS updates that you're probably going to want to make sure that you do. Have some feedback from a listener about battery replacements. And then I'm going to talk a little bit about... Um, storage and backup from the perspective of uh, my aging Drobo. And that's going to kind of round out this episode of the MacCast. So like I said, should be a good one. I say we just dive right in and talk a little bit about Wonderlust. Yep, that's the announcement. That is what Apple is calling their next virtual iPhone event. They sent out the announcement. It's going to be happening here on the 12th of September. So just a couple of days uh, away as at the time I'm actually recording this, the image and logo in the marketing seem to be a little more, I don't like getting into the whole read the tea leaves sort of thing, but this one kind of did have a lot more, what I would say, hints that seem to back up a lot of the rumors we've been talking about. Specifically, if you look at how they presented the Apple logo on the announcement, it does kind of have that metal titanium texture. You're like a little bit grainy and stuff like that. And then the color scheme seems to fall in line with the colors that we're expecting. So they're in those gray, silver tints, and then blues seeming to hint at the new materials and colors that are rumored for this year's Pro devices. And we'll talk more about that here in a minute. Um, the event is expected to focus on this year's new iPhone 15 lineup, probably also Apple Series 9 Apple Watch and um, the Apple Watch Ultra. So, you know, really focused on iPhones and Apple Watch. There will also probably be probably be some announcements of new accessories like cases, Apple Watch bands, those sorts of things. And we're going to get more into those cases here in a minute. Um, there's rumors also that Apple could be updating AirPods, AirPods Pro 
with new USB charging cases. They're not expected to get any really new features, um, just that this is going to be the year we're moving to USB-C. We're expecting the iPhones to do the same. Um, there's also some rumors that we could possibly get the announcement of an AirPods Max update going to USB-C, although with the AirPods and the AirPods uh, Max, those USB-C updates might not happen until next year. I'm assuming Apple will talk about them. Maybe they won't, um, but at the very least, we are expecting a new AirPods Pro charging case, and that might be available well, you know, right away when Apple makes the announcement. As far as the iPhone updates go, here's kind of the latest and greatest that we know. Um, the iPhone 15 and the iPhone 15 Plus models are probably going to get mostly updated to basically what iPhone 14 Pros look like right now. So you're talking about an A16 Bionic support for the Dynamic Island, a uh, better camera with a 48 megapixel main camera, USB-C um, that we've been talking about, so moving from Lightning to USB-C, uh, a new U2 Ultra Wideband chip, so that's going to bring better accuracy with Find My and those sorts of things. And then um, some new colors, including what looks like in the leaks this week, a new kind of very light green. It looks like the, the color scheme for the iPhone and the iPhone Plus models this year is going to be very subdued, sort of almost less than pastel colors, if that makes sense. It'll be interesting to see what they actually look like in person and how the community reacts to them, because they're going to be very, very, very subtle if what we've seen in some of the leaked images turns out to be true. Now, on the pro side, that's where we're expecting the much bigger updates, and more specifically, the Pro Max model is going to be the one that I think is going to have the bulk of the upgrades there with the Pro models, we're expecting a new design, um, titanium cases, so Apple moving from the aluminum to titanium, uh, thinner bezels, rounded edges, those sorts of things. These are all things that we've talked about a little bit. Uh, they're expected to have an action button, so Apple sort of redoing the sleep-wake button. It's going to become an action button. It's going to be software programmable, so different apps can probably launch different functions. It's going to take cues very much from the Apple Watch Ultra, uh, although I don't expect it to be a bright orange button like we have on, on the Ultra. I think it's going to be color-matched to the device still. Uh, of course, the new processor, A17 Bionic, this is going to use uh, the new 3 nanometer technology. Uh, USB-C and Thunderbolt support. Uh, for faster charging, faster data transfers, although we already talked about the whole cable thing. It's expected in the box. You're going to have USB-C cable. If you want the full Thunderbolt capabilities, you're going to probably need to buy a cable separately. Uh, Q2 wireless charging, and I think that's also on the iPhone 15, iPhone 15 Plus model. So that's the newer version of the wireless charging. Um, the Plus, the, the Pro uh, devices will also get the U2 ultra-wideband chip upgrade. Uh, and then we have possible higher resolution, higher resolution telephoto and wide angle lenses. This is kind of a new announcement. I think it came from Mark Gurman this week. Uh, currently, those are 12 megapixel sensors. They could go higher. He didn't mention specifically what that would be. And then, as we know, the big sort of camera update is going to be the periscoping lens technology uh, on the iPhone Pro Max, which will offer a 6x optical zoom so that's double the current capabilities and that's going to be the really big thing that i think a lot of people are going to want to go for and get the upgrade for 
We're ex still expecting potentially double the storage capacities. So uh, current models start at 128 and go up to two gigabytes. We're expecting all of those to double across the board. Uh, and then new colors, uh, you still have the white and the black, but then we're expecting Apple to add a new gray, really titanium color. I'm almost thinking it's going to match basically what looks like the bare metal with a, with a clear coat. And then um, a new blue color, replacing the purple what's interesting thing about that to me is this is the third time i think we'll see a blue color on the iphone pro model so apple keeps coming back to the blue i really liked the purple i think that was one of my favorite the green was kind of nice but purple was really really cool i think and uh you know blue is just one of those colors it's, it's a nice color i think it's um a color that can appeal to a lot of people right not everybody maybe wants a purple phone but most people uh, might go for a blue. So it'll be interesting to see what they call that color and how it sort of differentiates itself from the two blues we've had in the past. When we have a Pacific blue and I can't even remember the name of the other one, but I'm sure it'll come back to me. Uh, and we're also expecting the, and we're going to get into this a little bit with some of the other rumors because this is a little bit in flux, but a higher starting price point on the pro models because of some of the new technologies. So because this year's iPhone Pro Max is due to have really the bulk of the newness, I'm going to call it, there are several analysts talking about and predicting that that particular model is going to be the big seller, at least initially in 2023. So like people are going to, Apple's going to make the announcement and people are going to get stoked on the iPhone Pro Max because really it has all of the cool stuff, right? If you're going to pay for that upgrade and you're going to pay even more for the upgrade, you probably going to want to go for the most you can get. Now, Ming-Chi Kuo thinks that Apple is planning on Pro Max shipments being about 10 to 20% higher than last year's iPhone 14 Pro Max because of this. And he says the new model could account for 35 to 40% of early iPhone 15 shipments. So that's really going to be driving sales um, with that new feature. I think specifically the telephoto lens, I think that's the, the big key keystone feature that a lot of people are going to be going for. Uh, because of that, and a few other reasons. It's also expected that that model is going to be in short supply at least for a while. And there's even some flux on um, what the launch date might be. So there are reports already of delays with components like the camera. The uh, new titanium cases are adding a little bit more complexity and changes to kind of the manufacturing process that is causing some issues for Apple. So the Pro models are expected to be in limited quantities. The Pro Max even more constrained. So that either means we could see very limited quantities at launch. Uh, the launch is expected to happen a week after, so like September 22nd. And it could be even to be delayed for the Max until October. So if you're looking for that Max model, you might be waiting a little bit while, a little while longer versus the other versions of the iPhone 15. Now, interestingly, according to a report from Omida's smartphone model market tracker, the current iPhone 14 Pro Max was also the overall best-selling smartphone for the period between January to June of 2023. 
So that model has been selling incredibly well. Uh, Apple shipping 26.5 million units, according to the report, and this is worldwide. Um, so it was the best-selling smartphone. So that trend is going to continue with the iPhone 15 Pro Max. So uh, not too surprising that that's the model that a lot of people are going for. I think it's more surprising that there has been this sort of shift from the more budget-level uh, iPhones like the iPhone and the iPhone Plus over to the max models and obviously apple is betting pretty heavily with this announcement that that trend is going to continue and it sounds like analysts are on board with that as far as detailing some of those other issues that are causing production delays and difficulties ming chi kuo commented on that this past week and said that the pro models are facing things like the new titanium frame which we just talked about adding what he calls, quote, high processing difficulty and significant design changes due to development. And then a few other issues that Apple's been wrestling with seem to be the uh, CIS panels, batteries, so display panels, the batteries, which have been expanding when exposed to high heat. And it sounds like Apple has been able to address most of those according to his report, ahead of the launch. So they've kind of got all that sorted out. They've expanded suppliers and kind of dealt with that in a few different ways they've been able to address it. So it shouldn't be too big an issue. But again, it is going to potentially um, disrupt or kind of slow down the availability. So just be aware if you're looking to buy an iPhone this year, they might be a little bit hard to get here toward the end of the year you might be looking at later release times expect devices to sell out pretty quickly so you're going to want to be johnny on the spot when apple does have their announcement so definitely take advantage of things like the app store's ability to kind of you know pre-set up your purchase and get pre-approved for any of the financing or anything that you want to uh, take advantage of so just make sure you've got all your ducks in a row so you don't miss out if you're trying to get an iphone this year now, something interesting happened this week because there was a lot of news and information and details on the price increases for the Pro models. We've been talking about this the past few episodes. It's been kind of an ongoing conversation here in the community. And right now, analysts can't seem to agree on what that price increase is going to look like. The majority seem to think what we've been saying all along, that there's a expected about $100 U.S. price increase to the base models of the iphone pros across the line although we have seen on the max models some analysts predicting up to a 200 dollars price increase all of this reportedly because of the cost of the periscope lens for the telephoto which is uh, i guess three to four times more than the traditional lens that apple has been using now there was a contradictory trend force report this week that says Apple is thinking about starting the iPhone 15 Pro model at its current storage level, so not doubled at 128 gigabytes of storage, and then maintaining the existing starting price of $999 US, not having that $100 price increase. I'm taking this one with a little bit of grain of salt because it's unclear if that means that they'll have just an additional model and then if you want to spend $10.99, you can get double the storage. But I'm thinking they're not going to want to complicate it that much. So I'm more expecting that just it's a $100 price increase across the iPhone Pro line, whether you go Pro or Pro Max. But that remains to be seen. Another thing we had been talking about that might happen this year is the rebranding of the upper 
model from Max to Ultra, kind of going along with the Apple Watch Ultra. So you've got the action button. You've got some great new features. So that was expected to maybe happen this year. Now, Mark Gurman came out this past week and said the Ultra branding Apple has decided not to go forward with this year, that they're likely going to reserve that for the iPhone 16, which could get an Ultra version which would have potentially a larger display at uh, 6.9 inches. And it's also believed that when Apple does release the Ultra model, it could add the ability to support Apple's spatial video. So you could actually shoot spatial videos, which are those um, videos that will be able to be displayed on the Apple Vision Pro headset. So those are those really immersive um, videos and Apple has a whole special camera system that they've developed for shooting this kind of video that they, you know, they demoed with the release of the Apple Vision Pro headset. I think it's a logical conclusion that Apple's going to want to build that into devices so consumers can shoot that kind of video themselves. And it makes sense that that would come out in a, a very high end iPhone. And it's looking like that's probably going to happen sometime in uh, 2024. So be looking for that with the iPhone 16. And who knows <laughs> how much more Apple's going to charge for that feature. But uh, that's to come uh, probably next year. Kerman also claims that Apple retail stores are going to go uh, overgo an overnight refresh of their displays the night of the announcement on the 12th. Now, that's a little bit unusual because typically Apple will make the announcement and then the release date is a week out. And so they usually refresh or redo the stores for the launch of the new devices. So this is leading some people to believe that some of the products that are going to be announced at the event on the 12th are going to be available for sale immediately. For me, my guess is the reason Apple's doing that beyond just sort of pre-marketing the launch of the new iPhones would be that uh, they might pre-sell cases or the Apple Watch bands, other accessories. If they do the the USB-C and a Wi-Fi case update for the AirPods, they could start selling those right away. So that's happening. Retail employees are also reportedly being coached uh, to make sure that customers are fully aware of the iPhone's switch to USB-C from Lightning and make sure that customers fully understand when they're picking up their new devices that older Lightning accessories, specifically the wall chargers that they have with their current iPhones, are not going to work because Apple does not include a wall charger in the box. So because there's no USB-C uh, charger in the box, they need to make sure that customers fully understand that. Of course, you get a USB-C charging cable, but you're going to need a wall you know, device to plug that into. So they're going to encourage customers to purchase the separately uh, sold USB-C charger. It's obviously to help with a little bit with sales. But um, when I read about this, I wanted to remind MacCast listeners that if you have a USB-C charger for something else already, say you have one for your MacBook, you can still use that with the USB-C charging cable. So you may or may not need to buy a separate one. And you also don't need to buy Apple's, which is a little bit expensive when compared to other options like USB-C chargers from, say, Anchor. Um, they have some great options that provide more power, more ports for a lower price and often in a smaller form factor. So I am a big fan of those. I'll have a link to them in the show notes at MacHess.com. But yeah, if you are buying a new USB-C iPhone, I think it is important to understand that, you know, some of your older accessories are obviously not going to, going to work and you're going to need to go with some new ones. 
Now, speaking of the USB-C, there was an interesting study or survey, rather, that came out this past week from uh, CellCell. Apparently, they surveyed 1,000 iPhone users and 1,000 Android users here in the U.S., so not a comprehensive survey, but still some interesting numbers. And one of the big things that came out of this was they said 44% of existing Android owners surveyed said they would be tempted to buy an iPhone 15 if Apple added a USB-C port to the device. So I don't know if that's... They say it's because they'll be able to use their iPhone with existing like USB-C accessories, specifically like charging accessories and stuff like that. That seems relatively high to me. But uh, if that can sway Android users, Android users, great. Uh, the survey also did say that 66% of Android users said they would not be buying an iPhone 15 and 34% said they would potentially upgrade to an iPhone 15. So we'll see if, you know, USB-C brings more Android users to uh to apple's platforms but i don't think it's going to be that high a number probably because they didn't survey that many users but hey if you're an android user does the the move to USB-C interest you in maybe finally buying an iphone or moving over to an iphone i'd love to hear about that <laughs> let me know why and the, the, the thinking behind that mattcast at gmail.com now, the other thing that we're expecting uh, at this event is the Apple Watch Series 9. And there's some interesting news and information coming out. A lot of it from Mark Gurman this week on what updates we might see there. He's saying that some of the stainless steel models might use a new 3D printed manufacturing process. Apple's been toying with this for a while. And reportedly what's going to happen is they, they're going to print the case out of this kind of powdered substance. And then it goes through a process called sintering, which uses heat and pressure to kind of squeeze the material into a product that feels like traditional steel. And then they do design cutouts and mill that material uh, just like they have in previous models. So Apple, this could be the first uh, product that they're doing a 3D printed manufacturing process on. He also says the Apple Watch Series 9 models uh, will have a new version of Apple's heart rate sensor uh, that is designed to be faster and more accurate, which is pretty cool. And they're expected to add, again, support for the new U2 ultra wideband chip. So that ultra wideband chip expected to go kind of across the board in Apple products moving forward. And that's really what we're expecting from this next event. So it should be pretty exciting. It is Apple's traditional pre-recorded video. I know they invited media to come to the Apple campus to kind of look at things. I'm sure they're going to have a hands-on demo area and all that fun stuff. Um, but I will definitely be watching that event and uh, we will be covering it here on the MacCast next week. So I'll give you all my thoughts and opinions and how I feel about the new announcements um, in the next episode. So stay tuned. One item we discussed last time on the MacCast was this rumor that uh, this year might be the first year that Apple does not have an iPhone, a leather iPhone case uh, for their devices. And there was some speculation that what could be happening is Apple is moving to a different material. Well, this week we got some kind of iffy rumors that Apple is going to replace its leather iPhone cases this year with a new version using different materials. According to the reports, it would be a quote-unquote patchwork of kind of two materials that are designed to be more eco-friendly. 
Uh, additional leaks claim that the cases will use a woven style design with materials made from leather alternatives. And reports are that the supply chain is referencing the new cases as MagSafe Environmental Protection Cloth Leather Case. So um, this is really interesting. Uh, a lot of the leaks pointed out that the colors of images that were being shown were not necessarily representative of the colors Apple actually plans to release. Overall, I would say the material to me looks sort of like almost an imitation suede, although even more sort of uh, fibrous, or I don't know how you would describe it, but basically it's kind of this imitation suede on the inside and the back. It almost looks more like a microfiber cloth. And then you have a more traditional looking leather-like material on the sides where the aluminum color matched buttons would be. So I don't know how I feel about this material, if it's actually... Uh, the thing that Apple is going with, I really am a big fan. I've always used Apple's leather cases, and I think they're wonderful. Uh, they age and wear really, really well, in my opinion. And I'm curious if this kind of new material can kind of hold up to that. I get what Apple's doing to try to be maybe more environmentally environmentally or eco-conscious. Um, but, you know, they, they've always done kind of premium materials. And I would say that they do a good job with that. They tend to test them very, very well. So I'm sure it's going to be very, very nice and, and feel really good in the hand. But just looking at the images, I feel like I really have to probably try it myself uh, to be sold on it. So it's going to be interesting to see how the community reacts to this one. But uh, we are expecting some sort of new case that's not quite leather uh, coming out with the iPhones this year. And I guess we'll find out here on uh, on Tuesday. DigiTimes is reporting that Apple has secured all of TSMC's manufacturing supply of three nanometer chips for 2023. Um, Apple, I think we had already discussed, had locked up a majority of their production. Now it's seeming like they have 100%. And it seems what happened is that Intel um, has been trying to do some three manu three nanometer stuff with their new processors. Um, they had secured some of that manufacturing capability uh, because they don't have the ability to process that in-house yet. And it's for their upcoming Aerolake processors, but they've stalled out on that development and are not going to be moving forward with that this year. So that opened up the opportunity for Apple to jump in and grab that remaining capacity uh, because Apple's going to be using the technology for, you know, A-series processors and the M3. And so overall, TSMC is going to end up actually producing probably fewer three nanometer chips uh, because they don't have the additional orders from Intel, but they are going to ramp up on some of Apple's orders. So Apple really trying to lock in on the processors. That's going to really help them sort of lock in and secure the performance uh, gains that they've had against their competitors. Um, so ultimately I think that's a good thing for Apple and Apple consumers. Um, another thing that happened this week is Apple also re-upped their long-term licensing deal with ARM Technologies. Uh, that was up for renewal. Uh, they've extended it now beyond 2040. ARM is the key technology that Apple uses to build their custom design processors. So it seems like they're 
planning on continuing that relationship and continuing using that technology for a long time to come. And so that was good news to hear this week as well. Now, we need to talk a little bit, I think, because we're talking about processors and, and, and new technologies on some of the products that we're expecting to see here in the new future, in, in the near future, excuse me, from Apple. We already, I think, discussed and talked about that we're expecting there is going to be some sort of Mac event, uh, possible iPad event in October. Mark Gurman had speculated that Apple could finally unveil M3 versions of some of their stuff, maybe a 13-inch MacBook Air, 13-inch MacBook Pro, or a 24-inch iMac. This past week, Ming-Chi Kuo came out and said that looking at the supply chain, he's not expecting Apple to announce any new MacBooks with M3s this year. I personally would assume that could mean that Apple could still announce products and then maybe not ship till next year, but probably more likely is that uh, they may go with uh, M3 desktop, uh, the update to the iMac, the 24-inch iMac, get that out this year before the end of the year, and then have the MacBooks coming out later. It's expected that new MacBook models might not hit until the mid to second half of 2024. Uh, Mark Gurman also thinks that Apple could debut a new iPad Air model this year. I would assume that would be an update with the M2, so that could happen at that October event uh, as well. Now, uh, Mark Gurman further commented on 2024, uh, what he expects Apple to do with respect to iPads, new iPad Pros, likely with, I would hope, M3 processors, um, but that remains to be seen. He does say the new models are expected to be launched in mid to second half of 2024. He also elaborated on a previous rumor, I think we discussed, that there's supposed to be a complete redesign of the magic keyboard case that's expected and what he's saying is going to happen with that is that the top case the the part with the keyboard is going to be aluminum versus the sort of fabric material that apple is using today so that's going to bring the design much closer to that of the macbooks the exterior shell would reportedly be kind of the same material uh, the only thing I wonder about there is I, w- I already feel like the Magic Keyboard case is pretty heavy. It adds a lot of weight to the iPad Pro. So moving to aluminum, I don't know if that'll bring the weight down. I would assume it would make the weight go up a little bit. So it's going to be a little bit more hefty, I would imagine. We're also expecting that... Um, new iPad Pro models could get more storage. There was a report out of Korea saying Apple plans to double the base storage level. That means it could max out at up to four terabytes of storage. So again, we're kind of really, I think, compressing this difference between, you know, uh, a MacBook, low-end MacBook, and an iPad. And I know there's a lot of people out there that, you know, choose an iPad as their main device. I use mine a lot. Um, I wouldn't, I'd say about 50-50 for me between my MacBook Pro and my iPad, but definitely when I'm traveling or moving around, I tend to prefer the iPad and it can do most of the things that I need it to do. So I, it's not surprising that we're kind of moving in that direction. It's also expected that 2024, the 2024 models 
of the iPad Pro will be the first to move to OLED displays. They're expected to be the same sizes, 11 and 12.9 inches. So that'll happen probably next year as well. And then finally on the sort of Mac front, there was an odd, I'm going to call it suspicious rumor. Suspicious, maybe that's not the right word. Just iffy rumor from DigiTimes about Apple potentially developing a new low-cost MacBook. And I'm kind of on board with that, but then they say it's to compete with Google Chromebooks um, using cheaper materials and components and aimed at the education market. I guess I have an issue with that, that term, cheaper materials and components. If we're talking about just older components, maybe, you know, M1 processors versus M3s or something like that. I could maybe get on board with that. And definitely Apple has in the past really targeted the education market. And I know they'd kind of get blown away by the Chromebooks in terms of price. They've tried to, I think, sell iPads into the education market. So maybe that's not going as well as Apple really wants. And that's what this sort of rumor is triggering off of, that Apple's just sort of playing around with the idea of could we put together uh, a notebook, something like a low-cost MacBook or MacBook Air, and sell that into the education market. I think they absolutely could if that's a market they want to go after. And so it doesn't surprise me that we're kind of seeing these rumors. But, you know, I don't think it's going to be a, a MacBook with cheaper components or cheaper materials. It might be older, more affordable components, but I think there, there, there's a big difference there. So we'll have to wait and see if Apple does something again for the education market. They really haven't in a long time, so it'd be great to see them do that. Whether or not they could really compete against Google and Chromebooks, though, that's a little bit harder sell for me because um, you know my kids, when they went to school, they were sort of locked in on Google not only because of the hardware technology, but in a lot of ways because they leverage things like Google Docs and Google accounts and Gmail and all that sort of stuff for kind of running all of the student accounts in their school. So that's going to be the harder thing to break through. Although, you know, technically a MacBook could handle that, um, but just that tight integration, it's sort of interesting because it's almost like, Apple's own game plan has been used against them uh, with Google Chromebook. So that sort of lock in, like, you know, you've got an iCloud account and everything integrates with your Apple products. And so you're locked into the Apple ecosystem. Google's kind of done that with Chromebooks, I think, in the education market to a certain degree. So it'll be interesting to see if Apple can break into this um, and whether they are even trying. I mean, again, this is just a rumor uh, I'm calling. I'm taking it with a grain of salt, I guess is what I'm saying. <laughs> We had some Apple Vision Pro news this week uh, coming out of the information. Uh, Sony has reportedly, quote unquote, shown reservation about expanding micro OLED panel production to kind of meet Apple's expanding need for future headsets. And that presumably has Apple looking at additional suppliers like BOE technology and CIA technology over in China for future headsets. The piece also notes that adding additional suppliers and capacity might be a path toward uh, getting to lower price point uh, versions of the headset. So sort of expanding the line, maybe having a lower price model that has less features, maybe less advanced displays. Um, that's something we've talked about early on, you know, $3,500 is a big price point for 
the Apple Vision Pro. It's really only expected to be sold to kind of early developers and or early adopters, rather. I'm kind of getting ahead of myself because we also want to talk about developers a little bit. Uh, another thing that's going on in the news this week re- related to Apple Vision Pro is Apple responded in a way to some comments made by Mark Gurman, who had said recently that he was hearing that some of the Vision Pro developer labs that Apple has been running, uh, these are the labs that let developers who are wanting to create apps for the Vision Pro come in and actually test their apps on the actual hardware, get get uh, support and additional help from Apple to kind of optimize their apps for the Vision Pro, uh, German had said that he had been hearing that a lot of those sessions were really underfilled. Now, part of that might be because they're running them initially out of Cupertino, and it might be harder for developers to get out there to kind of actually participate in that. Um, the implication, though, was that maybe developer interest in the Vision Pro isn't really that strong, at least early on. You know, developers may be holding back because it's a new platform. There's a lot of, you know, stuff going on related to that. Apple kind of responded indirectly to this in a Digitrends interview saying that, quote, devs are even more excited for the product than the company expected. The company has seen, quote, extremely high three-digit customer satisfaction at the labs they've been running so far. Now, what's interesting about that comment, if you look into it, right, is they talk about the satisfaction of the attendees that are there. They don't really address what German pointed out, which is that there's a lot of empty seats in these sessions. Like, there's availability if a developer wanted to be there. So, you know, it's one thing for people to be satisfied. You know, Apple likes to report on customer satisfaction numbers, apparently developer satisfaction numbers, which is great. I mean, they've got a lot of positive feedback. We've seen it in the news from other developers who are very excited about the platform. I think it's not surprising that there might be some hesitation, right? I think early on, there's not going to be a lot of uh, apps available, but I think as the Vision Pro catches on and we find out how many people are actually buying this thing, there's going to be this slow buildup. And we've seen this with other technologies from Apple, right? We've seen this with the iPod. We saw this with the iPhone, iPad, kind of the same thing. It's going to take a while to get this built built up. But Apple also did comment that the number of downloads of the Vision Pro software development kit have also exceeded their expectations. So overall, despite what's going on, Apple, you know, at least from a PR perspective, seems to be pretty happy with what's going on with the... Uh, with the Vision Pro. Finally, some other kind of technology that is, you know, on the forefront that got discussed this week that I found pretty interesting. The information's Wayne Ma had a new report on some possible new features for Siri and shortcuts coming not this year with iOS 17, but in iOS 18. And um, it's saying, he's saying that the new features uh, Apple is going to leverage their continuing work on conversational AI. And we've talk, been talking about this a little bit because a lot of people feel like with the introduction of technologies like ChatGPT, that Siri is constantly falling behind, that Apple hasn't really been paying attention to this space. And we've kind of heard some contradictory reports that say that really isn't true. Apple has a whole team that's actually kind of working on this stuff. And this kind of ties into that. So Apple's continuing to work on conversational AI. He's saying that they're going to have technologies that are going to allow users to use Siri to perform really complex automations and complex tasks. One of the examples that was given was like, uh, you know, give me the last five photos that I've taken as an animated GIF 
all using a voice command. Um, the report talks about the fact that Apple has a 16-person conversational team called Foundational Models that's been working on this, and they've been spending upwards of a million dollars a day on AI computing, implying that Apple is really throwing a lot of R&D money at these kinds of technologies. And hopefully that's going to translate into improvements for Siri and shortcuts and automations. I think Apple has the bigger challenge of trying to do this all in the space of maintaining user privacy and data privacy and stuff like that. So it's a little bit more challenging, I think, for Apple's teams to just get into this stuff and probably why we're not going to see it until, unfortunately, sounding like uh, iOS 18 or even later. So it's exciting that Apple's working on that. I wish they were a little farther ahead with it, but we'll have to wait and see what comes next. But with that, that is going to do it for the news for this week. Before we move on, I do want to take a quick moment and thank a show sponsor, and that is ZocDoc. You know, um, one of the most frustrating things like I find when it comes to my healthcare is I'm the type of person that's generally healthy. I don't get sick that frequently. Um, and when I do... I want to be able to see someone very, very quickly. And anybody who's had to deal with this, you probably know, it can be really hard to get an appointment quickly when you need. And also, more importantly, one with a doctor that you feel like you know and trust and one that actually takes your insurance. And that's why I love ZocDoc. ZocDoc is a free app where you can find amazing doctors and book appointments online. We're talking about booking appointments with thousands of top-rated patient-reviewed doctors and specialists. You can filter specifically for ones who take your insurance. They're ones that are located near you and treat almost any condition you're searching for. I personally really appreciate that all the doctors have verified reviews from real patients, not robots. So I can trust that it will help me find someone and narrow in on a doctor who's going to be possibly a really good fit for me. And there's no waiting. The average time to see a doctor booked through ZocDoc is between 24 to 48 hours. That's it. So you can see someone right away. Sometimes you can even score same-day appointments. And booking that appointment is super easy. It's just a few taps in the app, no waiting on the phone with bad hold music just to find out you can't get an appointment for weeks. Go to ZocDoc.com slash MacCast and download the ZocDoc app for free and then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash MacCast, ZocDoc.com slash MacCast. And a big thank you to ZocDoc for their support of the show. One thing we were talking about in the last episode of the MacCast with the iPhone 15 launch looming is upgrades. I talked about the fact that I have upgraded since the original iPhone. I've upgraded my iPhone every year without fail. And this year I'm looking at it and this might be the first year when I don't update my phone. And a big reason behind that is because I'm not a big fan of the Mac's larger form factor. So I'm an iPhone Pro user at this point. And I just don't feel like there's significant enough upgrades just with the iPhone 15 Pro 
to sort of warrant that upgrade. And I'm also looking at, you know, I, I think I want to get an Apple Vision Pro. That's a very expensive device. And I, I feel like if I don't up- upgrade my iPhone, I can take the money I would have spent there and sort of offset the, the pain <laughs> of the cost of the Vision Pro. And so I also asked you, you know, how many of you are like in the same boat as I am? Are you, are you, you know, have you been a serial upgrader? Are you considering maybe not upgrading this year? What are your thoughts on this year's models? And many of you wrote in and it seems like many of us are in the same boat when it comes to this year's upgrades. And what I'm finding is that many of you seem to be uh, if you are upgrading, it's because you've already held off on previous models. So I had Josh email me who said, hey, I have an iPhone 13 Pro. I'm very, very happy with it, but I am considering upgrading to a 15 Pro or maybe even a Pro Max this year. But he was in the same boat wondering, you know, is there really going to be enough with this update to warrant an upgrade? Is it going to be worthwhile for me to upgrade? And and he specifically mentioned that he's very interested in the camera features, but feels like more recent updates, in more recent updates, those upgrades have been good, but relatively minor. And this year specifically wonders if the telephoto on the Max is really going to make it worth it. And, you know, Josh, I would say, in my opinion, with this one, if you're willing to go with the larger size of the iPhone 15 Pro Max, so upgrade from your 13 Pro to a Pro Max, I feel like the camera upgrade is very, very significant. That the telephoto, I think, could be worth it <laughs> just for that feature alone. And then, of course, you get all the other bonuses of USB-C and and the titanium case, and, you know, all those were really nice to have. But, you know, I wish the telephoto lens was not exclusive to the Max. And again, I'm taking this with a grain of salt. Maybe, maybe we'll luck out. I don't think we are going to luck out, but maybe it'll be on the Pro. But if they did update the Pro with the telephoto lens, there'd probably be no question for me that I'd be upgrading this year. Uh, moving from a 3x optical zoom to a 6x optical zoom, I think is very significant. And if you've ever used the digital zoom, every time I use the digital zoom, I am extremely disappointed. It, it kind of gets me the shot where I can see the thing that I want to see, but the quality of it always leaves me lacking. So anywhere where we can get a better optical telephoto, I think is going to be really, really huge. And so anybody, I think anybody who is all about the camera upgrades on the iPhone, this is going to be a good big year for them if they're willing to get the Max model. What I question is how many people are willing to upgrade to the Max. If you already have a Max, great. You know, you're you're probably all in on the upgrade. Um, so we'll have to wait and see. And Eric also emailed me, and he's in a little bit different situation, but similar in terms of he's upgrading from an older phone. Eric says he's planning to upgrade to the iPhone 15 Pro, but he's looking forward to it because of macro photography, the better battery life, and USB-C. But the thing is, is Eric is upgrading from an iPhone XS. So Eric, your upgrade is going to be massive. I mean, that's going to be a huge upgrade for you, and you are going to be thrilled and excited 
with the iPhone 15 Pro. So there were a lot of people I heard from that were sort of in that boat where they had not upgraded their iPhone for several years and this year's the year that they're going to upgrade. So I think anybody who's doing that is going to be really thrilled. I mean, previously Eric said he had to use kind of those add-on lenses to get macro support. So he's a big fan of macro photography. So having that built in, not having to you know slide on those additional sec- accessories and carry them around, I think are going to be very, very significant. And I think that's really what we're going to see this year is we're going to see... Like the analysts are predicting, a lot of people upgrading to the iPhone 15 Pro Max for the camera features, and then sort of everybody else probably upgrading from a much older device, not going from, say, a 14 Pro to a 15 Pro, but more like a 12 Pro or a, you know iPhone 11 to a 15 Pro or an iPhone or an iPhone 15 Plus, those sorts of things. So does that jive with you? I mean, does that seem like what you're feeling like, or am I missing something here? Are there those of you who are like, nope, I have an iPhone 14 plus, and I definitely want an iPhone 15 plus, or I have an iPhone 15 pro or 14 pro. And I'm, there's no way I'm not upgrading to an iPhone 15 pro. I'd love to hear from you. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on why you're excited about this year's iPhones. So shoot me some feedback, send me an email, maccast at gmail.com little bit of a quick, I would call it almost a PSA here. Uh, I normally don't do this. I normally don't talk too much about uh, OS upgrades. I mean, they come out. I feel like you should always run them because often there's security releases. But this week, Apple released Mac OS 13.5.2, iOS 16.6.1, iPad OS 16.6.1, and Watch OS 9.6.2. And these do have some very critical security updates, but one of the biggest ones being a patch to a zero-click vulnerability called BlastPass, which is actively being exploited by the NSO group's Pegasusware. And why this one is significant is because it allows for someone to send a maliciously crafted pass kit or sort of wallet image to iMessage on a targeted phone and that can then infect the device without needing to click on anything. So they've been using this to distribute the Pegasus spyware to devices. Now, do you need to be panicked or worried about this? Absolutely not because Pegasus spyware is typically used to target government officials, reporters, other high profile targets is generally used by nation state actors. So chances are someone's not going to be targeting you with this. But regardless, I think you want to patch your iPhone just to make sure you don't have this because who knows if it could expand or people try to take advantage of this exploit in some way. So just doing a little PSA this week, if you have not updated to the latest version of Mac OS, iOS, iPad OS, or watch OS, probably want to run your software updates this time around. Steven this week emailed me and has some interesting or had some interesting and potentially frustrating information to share with us regarding getting new batteries for our Apple devices. Now, in his case, it was an Apple Watch Series 7, but this information really impacts any device with an internal battery, which is pretty much everything Apple sells these days, right? Um, so what happened to Steven is he found himself needing to put his Apple watch 
on the charger more than he would like. Often twice a day, he said he'd you know put it on for charging in the morning and still have to kind of top it up in the evening. And this was despite making adjustments to settings to kind of turn off some of the more power-hungry features like the hand-washing timer or the always-on display. He also made adjustments to his notification to try to get better battery life. But he said regardless of doing all that stuff, he was still often finding that he couldn't even get through 12 hours of a day with his Apple Watch. And, and that's pretty rough. It should It should do better than that. And so because of that... He thought, you know, I don't I don't want to deal with this anymore. I just want to go have Apple install a new battery, start off fresh. So off to the Apple store he went. Um, he knew that he was out of warranty, so he'd be paying, he's in the UK, so 85 pounds uh, to get a battery replacement, but he was fully willing to do that. This wasn't about, you know, trying to get a, a free battery replacement or anything like that. Um, in the battery settings on his watch, the battery health was being reported at 83%. And I point that out because this is where the interesting part comes in. When he got to the Apple store and kind of told him, hey, I want a new battery in my Apple watch, the geniuses, the Apple folks said, hey, well, we can do that, but we need to run diagnostics on your watch first. And if the battery doesn't show that there's a failure, we actually can't replace your battery. So he was a little bit baffled by this because it was just like, well, you know, it doesn't matter what the battery is. I just want to pay for a battery replacement. Can't I just pay for a battery replacement? And he was essentially told no. And I found this very interesting because I didn't know that this was a thing. And I appreciate Stephen for emailing to kind of point this out to us. Now, after doing a little more research about it, I, I somewhat understand what Apple's trying to do. We know that Apple's been trying to become a lot more environmentally focused um, recently. And this was sort of the reason they gave Stephen why they can't just replace a good, a known good battery um, is that, you know, environmental reasons. So I definitely get that. And looking through Apple's support site, they do mention in several places that batteries are considered for replacement when the battery holds less than 80% of its original capacity. So you notice Steven's battery was at 83% battery health. And so Apple's just flat out, hey, we're not going to replace that battery. We don't care if you're willing to pay for it. Um, so I wanted to point that out because there might be other folks out there who want to replace a battery. Um, and if your battery health isn't below 80%, Apple's likely not going to do it for you. Um, as far as what you can do in this situation, I'm not sure what additional troubleshooting, Stephen, you went through. I can tell you I have an Apple Watch Series 6. I think mine's a Series 6. And I can typically go 24 to 36 hours on a charge. So something within, I don't, I haven't tweaked any of my energy settings on my Apple watch. So definitely something for sure seems off with your watch. Now, if it's passing diagnostics, then that leads me to believe it could be some other issue. The only thing I can think of is I do know that sometimes doing a full backup and then a full erase and restore of a device can sometimes help. So like maybe something's gotten off in the settings and the something's running in the background or something's just not functioning properly that's causing you to have that reduced battery life. I don't know if you've tried that already. I just want to throw it out there, um, not only for you, but in case other folks have run into battery issues. It's definitely at least one troubleshooting step worth trying. 
Still, at the end of the day, I think it's very frustrating that if you're willing, ready and willing to pay for a battery replacement, that Apple will not do it for you, even even if you want them to. Uh, at that point, I guess you're looking at trying to go to some sort of third party, and I know that's not always ideal, but that may be the route you ultimately have to go. So I don't know if any of you out there have run into this particular issue before, but if you have and have had maybe a similar or even better yet, a different experience with Apple support, uh, shoot me an email and let me know about it. Uh, even an audio comment would be great. Matcast at gmail.com. Last thing I want to talk to you about this week is my aging <laughs> Drobo. I don't know how many of those of you out there still have Drobos, um, but I do. I think I've talked about my backup strategy. It's it's really the third tier of, or even fourth tier, I guess, of my backup strategy. So I have Time Machine backups. I have offsite backups through Backblaze. Um, I have, uh, you know... Uh, carbon copy cloder backups to local drives. And for archival storage, I use my Drobo because it has the most amount of storage that I have. And I use some ChronoSync tasks to actually remotely back up to that Drobo or, or it's direct connected. So to back up to that Drobo when it's connected to my Mac. And it's things like, you know, the complete archive of my audio files for the MacCast. It goes all the way back for forever. And then, of course, I have those backed up additionally up into up into the cloud. So I've been using that system for a really, really long time. But anybody who has a Drobo or, or has known about Drobo probably also knows that the company is essentially dead at this point. I think they filed for bankruptcy probably multiple times at this point. Um, they are not updating their software. The systems are not supported. It continues to work in Mac OS Ventura. And I did a little bit of research recently to see if it was going to still work in Mac OS Sonoma. And from the research I've been able to do, it sounds like it is going to continue to work. The Drobo dashboard does work, although I get a warning from the system saying that, you know, it's an unsupported extension and who knows how long it's going to work. They're definitely not updating the software for it. So I've been entertaining or thinking recently, what am I going to replace this system with and how am I going to replace it? And what I, what am I going to do? So I wanted to throw this out there just in case there's others of you in a similar situation. And really for me, I'm kind of looking at two different options. One would be instead of using a direct connected storage to my Mac, going with a solution like Synology, a NAS solution. So that would potentially be one option. Something that I'd like to be able to do is use that system for um, Plex for my video library. Uh, I have an older Synology that I've been using, but it doesn't run the latest Plex software. So I haven't been able to use that for a while. So I, yeah, I need a system to run that on. And so that's interesting to me. And I know that Synology NAS solutions will support that with certain models. Um, the other route though, is I also have, uh, I upgraded my wife's computer recently. So I have an a Mac mini, an old Mac mini sitting around. And um, this was a solution I had for a long time for network backup where I had an old Mac mini connected to a Drobo and then I would use ChronoSync and all that stuff to sync over my network. And that could also potentially, that Mac mini could also potentially run 
Plask, so I'm thinking maybe a more traditional RAID solution, like one from OWC, and then just connecting that to the Mac Mini. Um, I'm not sure why, other than maybe price a little bit, um, but I'm leaning toward the OWC solution using a Thunder Bay 4 uh, USB or Thunderbolt, excuse me, Thunderbolt USB-C direct connected RAID and then using their soft RAID software along with an old Mac Mini. Again, I could run Plask, I could run my Chronosync on it. I'm kind of leaning that way because I've already got my workflows set up for that and that would plug in and connect pretty easily. I just have to transfer the data over from my Drobo and then everything could kind of just work. Um, the other option, if I go with the Synology, is I'm thinking about the DS923 Plus or maybe the DS423 Plus. I'm probably going to have to reach out to my friend Dave Hamilton over at Mac Observer. I can't remember the one that he recommends. Um, but you want, if you're going to run um, Plask, or Plax, excuse me, if you're going to run Plax, uh, you want one that has a, uh, a dedicated CPU processor on it so you can do the hardware encoding and decoding right on the device. And I, I know that those two models support that. I think one has a, a Ryzen processor and the other one has an Intel Celeron. Uh, I want to say that Dave's been recommending the DS423 Plus, but I'm not 100% on that. Um, so one of those two models, um, and then you know adding probably 48 gigabytes of storage so that then I can raid it out and ultimately end up with about 30 gigabytes of storage, something like that. But that's what I've been looking into. Um, I don't know when I'm going to pull the trigger on that. Probably, like I said, I need to do it sooner than later because I'm really worried if my Drobo dies or something happens, there's really no backup or replacement for that. So have any of you been kind of dealing with that and, and looking into these solutions? I'd be curious to know what ones you're using, if you're using something other than a Synology or a, a Thunderbolt RAID from, say, OWC, what brands do you like? What devices are you using? How do you have things set up? Shoot me some feedback. Send me an email, maccast at gmail.com. But with that, that is going to do it for the show for this week. Thank you for hanging out with me. I'm looking very forward to next episode because we're going to be talking about what the actual iPhone announcements are. So stay tuned for that. But before I leave you today, I'd like to thank a couple of my show supporters. Bandwidth for the MacCast is provided by Cashfly. You can find them at com. And all advertising on the MacCast is handled by Backbeat Media. They're at backbeatmedia.com. As always, if you have a comment for me, a question, something you'd like to hear covered on a future episode of the MacCast, you can send your emails and audio comments to maccastgmail.com. You're also welcome to call in on the listener hotline. That phone number is 281-622-4269, 281-MAC-IM-9. If you need show notes, links to anything that I talked about on this or any other episode of the MacCast, you'll find those on the website. That's at maccast.com. And finally, if you want to follow me on social media, you can find me on X formerly Twitter at twitter.com slash MacCast. You could check out the MacCast Facebook page over at facebook.com slash the MacCast or find me on Instagram, just MacCast on Instagram. But with that, that will do it for now. Until next time, I will talk to you all again real soon. Mm -hmm.